want to talk about, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel here tonight, um, or this morning. And we're going to look at uh, this story of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to look at kind of a few spots right after that in Genesis chapter 4. I just want to look at kind of the outfall of Cain a little bit. But we're mainly going to be centered in there. As you look at this, I want to give a little bit of context. And I know you all have been going through this, so bear with me if I'm repeating anything. But, you know, Genesis is that introductory book to the gospel. Uh, Moses wrote it, right? This was after the Exodus. Moses is the one that wrote Genesis. He's passing on some sort of verbal uh, tradition that's been passed down from Adam and Eve. And he kind of gets real quick through the first couple thousand years of mankind, right? Through chapter 11, he goes from uh, the creation, the first man and woman, as we're going to talk about today, Cain and Abel, Noah, the flood, and all that covers a couple thousand years. And then he zooms in a little bit, and he zooms in on Abraham. And then Abraham's family is the, the subject of the book from ver- chapter 12 to chapter 50, and, and really on even after that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in these parts, we couple, cover a couple thousand years, and he's just kind of speeding up through that. But there's a few times where he zooms in on a couple of people, right? He zooms in first on Adam and Eve. Makes sense. They're the first people. Uh, They're where uh, the first people, we kind of see the intention that God had for mankind. We see where they messed up, right? And as I'm sure y'all probably talked about in Genesis 3, we also see those first glimpses of the gospel where there's coverings made, there's forgiveness. Yes, I used to, let me kind of stop for a second. I used to really hate Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4. And there are, these ver- there are these chapters I didn't really want to read or go to because maybe partly because of familiarity. I'm one of those people that can't watch a movie twice, right? I've seen it once and I don't want to go back again unless it's been 10 years or something like that. But I really don't like going back to something twice when we lose, right? I, I used to be a really big Gators fan for college football. And occasionally I would have to work during a game or I couldn't be there uh, to watch the game. And so I would record it, right? And I would, of course, still keep track of the score. I wasn't going to be able to wait until the end of the game. And if we lost the game, I did not go back and watch it. I knew the end. I didn't want to go back and watch it. I didn't care how well we did all the way until if we were winning the whole time until the last minute. I didn't want to go watch the game. But if we won... I could go back and I could watch the game. I could see how it went, because even when things went bad, I knew we were going to win the game. Well, it's the same thing with Genesis 3 and 4. I used to hate that because we just lose, man. It's just nonstop losing. But then I started to see Genesis 3 and 4 in a totally different light. Because while we lose in Genesis 3 and 4, we start to see the winner, Christ, come out. We start to see the gospel come out. And if you look at it with a different set of eyes, you don't see the losing anymore. You see the winning that we get in Christ. And that's what I want to look at today. We're going to look at Cain and Abel. There's so many parts of Cain and Abel that are important. You know, you look over in Genesis 6, right? Um, And that's the story where we start learning about Noah. And we see this. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, this is chapter 6, verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil 
continually, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, right? So we see that from an overview, but with Cain and Abel in chapter 4, we get to see the details of that. We get to see the depravity. We get to see this age-old story that we all know, the first sibling rivalry, the first murder, right? And as I was talking about with Nathan, this is an age-old story, but it's not so old. We're going to look at Cain and Abel, and we're going to see that you and I are not so different from Cain. And hopefully, we're not so different now from Abel. We're just like these two brothers. They're a prototype, if you will, of mankind, of all man that would come after Adam and Eve. See, even Adam and Eve were different. They saw the Lord. They were in a perfect world. They walked with the Lord. They received the command straight from the Lord's mouth, right? Cain and Abel had, had the first opportunity to live by faith. That's why Abel is the first example of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It wasn't Adam and Eve because they, they saw the Lord. Cain and Abel had to live by faith. So let's begin to look at this. And as I said, let's not gloss over it because we're familiar with it or we think we're familiar with it. Let's look at this and see if we can pull out any Thing that's new or anything that's maybe fresh to us. He says, now Adam, and I'm reading from the New King James. I know it's a little different from what y'all may be reading, but now Adam and Eve knew, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Uh, some people see there where he says, I've acquired, a, she says, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Some people see that as she is thinking that Cain is a fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3.15. She's thinking that he is the man from the Lord, the seed from the Lord that would come to redeem and set her mistakes straight. She thought this was going to be a quick thing. This thing was going to be over, and he was going to set things right. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. His name means breath, right? Maybe Cain had been a little bit of a difficult child, and she kind of realized, oh, you know, so the next son she, she lowered her expectations a little bit for. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So we have two brothers that are very similar in many ways, right? I mean, same parents. There was no real genetic variations above them, right? There's no aunts, no uncles, no grandparents, no different sets of genetic backgrounds coming in, right? Same parents, same, same upbringing. There wasn't bad groups for one to get caught up in and a good group for... There was no other groups. It was just them and their family, right? Both hard workers. There was no... Uh, there was no depending on anyone else. They were the providers, right? Uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep, right? Probably not for eating or anything like that because man wasn't eating meat at this point. They were eating of the fruit of the ground. Uh, Cain had the fruit of the ground, and we know the curse was here, so we know it wasn't easy working. They were both hard workers. They were both providers. I would argue to you that they were both religious, churchgoers. Cain would be sitting here, 
Abel would be sitting over there, right? We see that in the process of time, it says, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. That process of time, uh, it kind of means literally at the end of the time. So there's a sense here that there was an appointed time where these people were to come meet the Lord. The Lord had set this expectation, and we'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. So he had set the expectation that people were to approach him, and that they were to approach him in a certain way. And Cain did that. At the end of the time, maybe this was Saturday, the Sabbath, maybe it was Sunday, I don't know when it was, if this was a couple of years or any of that, but there was an appointed time where they were to come to meet the Lord. So they were religious. They had so many similarities. But we also see right here, he gets right to the point, there's obviously a very, very drastic difference between these two men. Born of the same mother and father, growing up in the same neighborhood, right? Both religious, both know that God is real. I mean, there's not a doubt in their minds that He's real. They're not atheists. And they know that He wants to be approached, but there's vast differences between them. To look at this, I want to look a little bit at New Testament revelation and what the New Testament says about Cain and Abel. That's always a very good guard if you're reading the Old Testament. Make sure you don't go off in the crazy waters, right? What does the New Testament say about these people? Well, first, we got Matthew 23. You can follow me if you want, or if not, I'll read it. But 23, 35, this is Jesus, and it's also in Luke 11. Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's warning them, and he talks about Abel. He says, Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So we see Jesus is comparing Abel to a prophet, right? He's the first prophet, if you will. He spoke. Even if he didn't have a sermon, he spoke through his life. He spoke through his heart. He spoke through the sacrifice. He even speaks to us now, even though he's dead. Verse 11, chapter 11 in Hebrews says, being dead, he still speaks to us through his blood that he gave, that he, when he died a martyr's death. So Jesus calls him righteous. Now let me tell you this. I think on the outside, Abel, I mean, Cain was probably better. Here's why I think that. It says, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry and his countenance fell. I think Cain was like that prodigal, the prodigal son and the one that stayed behind and didn't leave his father. You remember the prodigal son, he goes off and he spends all of his inheritance on lavish living, just doing whatever he wants to do. And he comes back and the father accepts him back and forgives him and kills the fattened calf. And who's the one that's angry and jealous? The one that stayed behind. You see, I think Cain was a good guy. I think he went to church. I think he brought his sacrifice. I think he did all he was supposed to do. Maybe Abel had this period of his life where he was really rebellious to mom and dad, Adam and Eve, right? And I think that's why Cain hated Abel. I'm better than him. You see, Abel wasn't righteous because of his deeds. He was righteous, as we'll talk about, because of his faith. 
So what else do we look at? We've also got 1 John 3.12. It talks about how Cain hated Abel. When he's, he, John's trying to tell us to love one another, not as Cain, who hated his brother Abel because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Right? So we see there's this, this theme. These are prototypes. Abel is the prototype of all who would come to Christ in faith. And Cain is the prototype of all of those who would reject in self-righteousness and of approaching in their own way and doing things their own way. In fact, Jude talks about the way of Cain. And Jude, he's talking about uh, apostate prophets, people who are going to grab on to the gospel, grab on to the word of God, and use it for their own good, whether it's financial or uh, getting their desires, manipulating people, whatever it is. And he says, they've gone the way of Cain. These people, apostates, they look religious, they look spiritual, but they've gone the way of Cain. They do things their own way. See, that's the problem with mankind, is we do things our own way. That's the way of Cain. So let's look at this. We see there's similarities. We see there's obviously a difference between these two men. We've seen how the New Testament talks about Abel is righteous and Cain is evil. What's the difference in their sacrifices? Well, a couple of things. There's really two thoughts on this. That If you go out there and you read commentaries, one will say it's because well, of Hebrews 11, right? Let me go there. Hebrews 11 says... By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So some people will say it's, it's just simply faith. It doesn't matter that there was a blood sacrifice. It doesn't matter that Cain gave this grain offering. It's just simply the Lord looked down, the sacrifices were all good, and he just looked in the one heart and not the other. I don't really go just for that. I think that it's, yes, faith, right? By faith we are saved, but faith is substantial. Faith is objective. Faith can be handled. Faith can be seen. It's not just this subjective thing. I've got faith, but I can do it my faith in any way I want to do it. You see, faith is a substance, even Hebrews 11 says that. It says it right here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I don't need a master's degree to understand what that just said. It's a substance. It can be seen. It can be felt. It can be touched in some way. And the whole chapter of chapter 11 is going through the faith, the seeing, the faith that we can see in all of these people. So I do believe that, yes, it's faith, but I believe that Abel's faith was by the hearing of the Word of God, as we're told. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I can't trust God unless He tells me something, and then I trust what He told me. So, some people would say it's just by faith, but I don't go it's just by faith. Let me clarify, or let me go on. Some people will say it's just a sacrifice, and they'll go on the principle that it's things like, well, without remission of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And they'll say, well, it's just a sacrifice. Well, it can't be the fact that Abel brought a bloody sacrifice because we all know that anyone can bring a bloody sacrifice, right? 
Psalm 50. God says, verse 9, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He doesn't need our blood sacrifice. It would be foolish to think that Abel killing a lamb literally is what pleased the Lord. Cain could have killed a lamb. Isaiah 66. And I'm going to come back to these to pull it together later. He says, He who kills a bull as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. You see, these were phony sacrifices. We, God doesn't need our lambs. He doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't need our money. He has it all and he owns it all. And when we come to Him and we bring those things in a false way with a false heart, He sees it as it is. Bringing a bull as if slaying a man, hatred in His heart, but bringing a bull before the Lord as if it means something. Sacrifices a lamb, a clean animal, as if He breaks a dog's neck, an unclean animal, right? Same thing with grain offering, as if He offers swine's blood. See, sacrifices can be false. They can be based on a false premise. There's two types of obedience. There's inward obedience and there's outward obedience. Outward obedience is legalism. Outward obedience means I'm showing you out here what's not really in here. Right? I'm serving. I'm I'm going to church because it's what I think I'm supposed to do, but I really don't want to be there. And I don't want to listen to this guy for another minute. Right? There's inward obedience, which is grace and faith. It's of a changed heart and a changed mind that I want to do right from the bottom of my heart. Right? So there's two types of obedience, and I believe Cain had the outward obedience. I believe he had all the makings of a good religious life, the person that we would elect for a deacon or or a, a leader in the community. But I believe that Abel... Perhaps had that too, but he also had an inward grace and faith in the Lord. You see, I believe it's both. I believe it's faith in the Word of God that told them that there was a way to approach God. And that it was on the basis that they were sinners. And that they had no basis to really approach Him. And that they simply needed to acknowledge that. And I believe that that was shown... The substance of that belief, that faith, was shown in a bloody sacrifice. Now, why a bloody sacrifice? God can accept some grain just as well as anything else. He even says the, th- the cattle on a thousand hills are His. So He doesn't need it, so why? Because blood is ugly. It's disgusting. And so are you. So are your sins. 
They're filthy rags. There's no little sin with God. A child, we can have a child growing up, right, and they turn three or four, and that's when they, about, they, they learn to cutely talk back to their parents, right? And we laugh, just like she did. We laugh, right? Because it's funny, right? But it's not. That's a little sinner. <laughs> with the, just the beginning of rebellion, that one day is going to be full-blown sin, doing whatever in the heck they want to do mistreating other people and denying the one who made them and died for them. Sin is ugly. We're ugly on our own. There's nothing desirable in us but Him and that He desires, that He likes us. We approach on the basis that we have nothing to offer. And I believe that's the basis that Abel approached on. I think Cain was probably a better person, but Abel knew he was a sinner. And he approached the Lord on that basis. I believe we can see into the heart of Abel with this sacrifice. There was no other reason to kill a lamb. They didn't need it for food. The, the ground was producing all this wonderful fruit. Better, anything probably better than you and I could ever imagine. They didn't need it. He probably used the, the sheep for clothing or something like that. And he had to take the sheep. He was probably the biggest animal lover ever, right? And he had to kill it, slaughter it needlessly because of him. It took his place. It was the death that he deserved to die. I believe he got this idea from Genesis chapter 3. He didn't read Genesis 3. He was told by his parents what happened in Genesis 3, right? I believe that you look back there and you see the sin and then you see where they made a covering for themselves. They took the fig leaves, right? And fig, you know, leaves, I don't know about fig leaves, I'm not an expert there, but I know that leaves eventually dry out, wither, they probably are pretty itchy, they probably fall apart, right? They tried to cover themselves. And I also know that down in 15, before he gets to cursing in Adam and Eve, he talked about the first hope, and he gives us the hope of a deliverer that would come through the seed of Eve that would set them free. But his heel would be bruised, so this deliverer was going to receive some sort of affliction for us, right? And then he probably, his parents probably told him about how the Lord took off those fig leaves that hadn't even had a chance to dry yet, probably right in front of Adam and Eve, slaughtered an animal because what did he say back in genesis 2 he said on the day you eat it you will die i think we see the first substitutionary atonement right we see the substitution they didn't die that day but that animal that they named died because of their selfishness their righteousness their perceived holiness in themselves that they were good enough that they were better than god this animal died and God clothed them. See, I believe it was blood because God wanted us to understand that sin is serious business. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Even the small sin of that toddler that so cutely talks back to their parents. It's disgusting. It's ugly. It's horrible. It's an affront to the holiness of God. It says, little of him and much of us. It exalts us and brings him lower. But through faith, we put him in his proper place. 
You see, faith is the only way we can approach God, and He's on high and we're down low. Because until you come to faith in Christ, you think that you've got a way that you can do it. You think that you're good enough. You're 90%. You just need Jesus for the last 10%, maybe. You have to come to that place of total, total depravity in every area of your life. I'm learning that as a parent. My children are getting older, and I, since I think I've got them the market cornered on parenting, and I think I got it figured out, they reach another age and another obstacle. They reach another level of rebellion. <laughs> they're smarter, too, so they're better at tricking you. I need the Lord, right? I pray every night that the Lord will help me now. Prayers that I didn't pray years ago because I need Him to watch my children because I can't be around them all the time. We have to understand that we need Him for every single area. So we've looked at Abel, and I think we see in Abel, we see trust shown in obedience. This is the Lord's way. It doesn't make any sense for me to kill uh, Joey the, the lamb, but the Lord said I need to, the firstborn, the fat, right? It's obedience, it's trust that His way is the right way, even if it doesn't make sense to us. It's brokenness. It's a confession, if you will. It's a confession that that blood deserves to be mine. I'm a sinner, I'm bad, I'm not that great. It's a confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? It's humility that you can only approach God on His way. It's submissiveness. It's a tender heart that's tender and open to the instruction of the Lord, that's, that's lost its pride, it's lost its stony exterior. Lord, whatever you got, whatever way you've got, I'll do it. Let's go back to a couple of those verses. Psalm 50. He talks about, I will not take a bull from your house. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds, the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. For hunger I would not tell you. He says, but this, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to need me and to realize that you need me. I want to be your deliverer. I want to be the one that saves you, and I am the only one that can save you. It's not just because He wants to be the Savior, it's He's the only one that can save you. Psalms, uh, Isaiah 66, He ties them together. Right before, He says, he who kills a bull as if he slays a man, he who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. Right before that. But on this one, I will look on him who is of a poor and contrite spirit and who trembles at his word. Abel was probably trembling at his word as he offered that sacrifice. You see, it's about the heart. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about some empty faith that says, yeah, I believe, but I'm going to do it my own way. I think Cain did it by faith. He did it by an empty faith that said, I'm going to believe, but I'm going to do it my way. It's the Lord's way. But let's look a little bit at Cain. There's a lot to learn from Cain. In Cain, we see pride and arrogance, right? We see there in verse 5. 
but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Anger usually comes from pride, right? It usually comes from, how dare you do that to me? You, how dare you cut me off? How dare you give me the bird, right? It's an ex exaltation of who we are and a putting down of everybody else, including the Lord. Pride, anger comes from pride. Arrogance, envy, competitiveness, right? We can't be happy for our brother that got the job because his job's better than mine, and I'm smarter than him, and I work harder than him, right? It's just going to be this downward spiral that we're going to see with Cain. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain knew the way to go. Cain wasn't helpless. He wasn't hopeless. Cain could simply turn around. He needed to acknowledge his sinfulness. He needed to acknowledge that the Lord was holy and that he would only be approached on his terms, not just in bringing some empty sacrifice, but in his heart being broken and contrite about his sinfulness. Cain could turn around. He said, sin wants to rule you, but you should rule it. Your sin, my sin, loves the darkness. It rules the day in the darkness. It owns you in the darkness. It owns me in the darkness. It thrives in the darkness. The Lord simply wanted Cain to bring it to the light where it could be exposed. First John, talking about in God is light, there is no darkness. And when we have fellowship with Him, the light will shine on our sins and then that's where we'll see the sins we need to confess and be cleansed of. Right? He could turn around, but he wouldn't. Cain refused to acknowledge it, so sin re ruled him, producing in him. Let's look at these things. Self-righteousness, we already talked about that. Verse 5, I think he thought he was better than Abel. How dare the Lord approve of his offering? Hard-heartedness, verses 6 and 7. Uh, he would not turn around. He was going to hold on to that sin, right? Hatred and murder, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. This downward spiral, man, why won't he just turn around? At any moment, he can turn around. Even here, he's murdered his brother. He can turn around. Can murderers be saved? Yes. If they will turn around. At any point, Cain could have turned around. He chose not to. He chose to hold on to his way. He chose rebellion. He chose to continue in sin. And so do you and I when we sin. We're choosing it. We're not making mistakes. We're not slipping up. We're choosing rebellion. And that's what Cain did here. He just keeps going down and down. Blame shifting. Deceit. Let's look at deceit. Though when the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know and my, my brother is keeper. Liar. You know where he's at. You killed him. You know where you left the body. No one else moved it. He's a liar. Lying is so bad because it, it comes after something else. Usually if you've been doing everything right, you're not lying. See, lying is so bad because you're covering things up that you've already done. And it keeps you from exposing those things. He's covering up murder with deceit. And it's keeping him from salvation because he refuses to confess it and bring it out. So he's a liar, too. He's deceitful. 
blame shifting. And he said, what have you done? The Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A, future, a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now the Lord is saying that to him because that's the consequence of his sin. Cain can still turn around, but he's not going to. And the Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. You have driven me out this day, he says to the Lord. You've pushed me away. Now is that true? The Lord approached him. Come on, what have you done to your brother? Why are you angry? If you know right, turn around, right? Blame shifting, throwing it on the Lord. Throwing it, there's no one else to blame it on, I guess, at this point. So he's blaming it on the Lord. Blame shifting, and the saddest thing of all, the saddest of all is this. It says, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold mercy. There's the mercy of the Lord, right? He didn't get his just due punishment right when he deserved it. He got shown mercy. There was no command to tell people not to kill people. So the Lord, that didn't come until Genesis 9. So the Lord isn't exacting that punishment out of him, right? He's extending mercy to him. And instead of taking that mercy, the goodness of God, and letting it lead him to repentance, he uses it to set a wedge between him and the Lord that I think probably lasted until his death. It says, And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. He left the presence of the Lord. I mean, think about that. You and I, we come to church, and man, you can experience the Lord. You can raise your hands to the music. You can experience the Lord in, in your heart. These people, they could approach Eden. The cherubim were guarding the way to the tree of life, and the presence of the Lord was there, and they could go and meet with Him. But He turned His back on all of that. He separated Himself from the Lord. That's the worst part of all of this. And it's just this downward spiral. But where did it start? It started in a heart. It started in a heart that didn't want to acknowledge its sinfulness, that didn't want to acknowledge that there was a certain way to approach God and that he wasn't good enough to do it on his own terms, that he had to approach on the Lord's terms. Real quickly, I'd like to just look at the rest of the down spiraling from this. Just a few verses from after this. He went from the presence of the Lord. He raised a family away from the presence of the Lord. And is it any surprise that they all lived away from the presence of the Lord? Right? We see he built a city, called a city Enoch, right? See kind of some self-centeredness. He's, he, his firstborn son's Enoch. He's naming it after Enoch, right? It's the, ex, the exaltation of man, right? We see the first case of polygamy, Lamech. Now, Lamech is kind of like several generations down. If you're looking over in Genesis 5, Enoch, who's the one that walked with God and God took him, they're in the same generation descended from Adam and Eve. So that kind of gives you an idea of where they're at. But Lamech married uh, uh, two women, polygamy, right? Then we see this. We see an absolute, we see the, the down spiraling of sin. 
It says, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You see, vindictiveness, right? He got hurt by this man. I don't know if this was a deliberate attack or an accident, but he went well beyond eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. He got hurt by this man, and what did he do? He took his life, and then he took God's grace, and he completely abused it. He said, if Cain will be avenged sevenfold, me, seventy-sevenfold, right? Totally took the grace of God and abused it for his own good, this down spiral. And so we see it's an old story, but it's not so old, right? Let's go to 1 Timothy 3, and then I'll close. We see these same things described by Paul. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3. He says, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of... God having a form of godliness and denying its power, a lot like Cain, right? See, we're not so different, after all, from them. Jesus says, or we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, that the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, he says, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, Abel had a shadow that he was looking forward to. You and I have the reality. We, we can look back to just last week and whatever sermon was given in this church to see the power and the reality and the concrete reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for you today. You can see the ugliness of your sin. He saw it in the ugliness of a lamb being slaughtered. You can see it in the ugliness of the sinless Son of God being slaughtered. For you, not for him, for you, not for him, for you, right? For you. We can see that. It speaks of better things, though, because it speaks of new life, new creation. It speaks of new hope. It speaks that you can take that stony heart and he will replace it with a soft heart. So I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And I just ask that you respond in some way. Maybe not my words, but we've read a lot of scripture here. There's some way the Lord has spoken to you today. Maybe it has nothing to do with this sermon. I ask that you respond to him first. Confess what he's spoken to you. You don't have to know how he's going to fix that situation, that problem with your spouse, that relationship with your brother, that financial struggle, those mistakes you keep making. You don't have to just simply confess that you can't do it. That pride that you can't seem to get rid of, been there, still there, right? Confess it. Respond in some way to this message with the Lord as we go to the Lord's word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. And I